I'm your host, David Frost. This is my strategic forecast where you get common sense market analysis. Tuesday, September 15, 2020. We're looking at a daily chart of the SPY or Spider, which is the proxy for the S&P 500. What do we have on the docket today? Well, at the end of the day, the market really didn't do much. It stayed in a rather narrow range. The volume was somewhat on the lighter side. And at the end of the day, as far as the S&P goes, you look at it and you say, hey, they were up 17 points, a half a percent. Life goes on, and you move along. However, that's not really the whole story. There's always a story within the story. Just looking at a picture of the daily chart doesn't tell you what happened during the trading day. We're going to take a look at some intraday charts and check out, see what happened during the day, see if anything that did happen may have an impact on going forward like tomorrow. Let's start with the traditional starting point. What jumps off the page on the daily chart? Let's just focus on the candlesticks, forget about the 337.50, forget about the two lines underneath. First, let's talk where we are. Market puts in a top September 2, up here. Sells off a little bit into a pretty decent area of support. 337.50 got below, but popped back up. So as long as we're above 337.50, technically speaking, the market's okay. That being said, we're capped underneath the 20-period moving average. Okay, now that's not really that important either, and I'll tell you why. Because we've been hanging around the 20-period moving average for several trading sessions. So the longer they're either touching or approaching or hovering around the 20-period moving average, it diminishes the importance of that moving average. However, right around the same area as the 20-period moving average, we have something more interesting. We have what I like to call a breakdown candle high. The high is 342.53, and that also happens to be within pennies of another important spot, a spot that we know from last week. We'll get to that in a few moments. So there's a couple of things going on here. Let's take it first from the shorter-term perspective. You have this down candle. You have this breakdown candle. And now you have a bearish, wedgish kind of thing running a test of what? The top of the breakdown candle. Now, where have we ever heard that that happens from time to time? Right. It happens all the time. Not every time, it happens all the time. Now, what else can we say about that breakdown candle high? Well, it's pretty simple. We know where we are in the market, and we know based on what we find, for example, when we show up in uniform ready to go on Wednesday, if they're gapping above that breakdown candle high, 342.53, then we know that that's bullish. If, in fact... The market has the appearance of being rejected. We know that one too. So we have a breakdown candle, a bearish wedge. It goes like this. And the next move under normal garden variety market conditions, right? We use the 80-20 rule for this stuff. The next move will traditionally be in the southern direction. 
So half the battle is in our back pocket based on what the market's doing when we show up Wednesday. Gapping over, it's bullish. Trading away from it in the southern direction, and they're likely playing out from a symmetrical standpoint the existing pattern that exists on the chart. So let's take that a step further. Because we looked at a breakdown candle high, we looked at a breakdown candle for that matter, from a short-term perspective. However, it's not only short-term perspective, we have to look at the whole thing. Remember, the high from September 2, the market comes down, and what have they been doing ever since? We talked about this last night. They're still doing it. They're basically creating or forming or trading within a bearish, flaggish, wedgish kind of thing. Now, we know two things again. Until and unless they get above the same breakdown candle high we just discussed, then traditionally, this particular pattern, and also from a symmetrical standpoint, will go lower. If they're going to go lower, where are they going? They're going to the spot we've already discussed a number of times. 326.5 down to 323.5, give or take, in that general ballpark. Why? As a refresher, we have a gap. We have a former breakout area. We have another former breakout area. This is an area or a zone where under normal garden variety conditions, the market is not going to just cut through or slice through like a hot knife through butter. Let's take it a step further. What about from a market psychology perspective? Again, what's going on? The market's going through somewhat of a corrective phase. That's fine. We've talked about this in the past We've talked about it many times. In a corrective phase, certainly in an uptrending bull market, corrections tend to be shallow. They last not so long, kind of like a two or three week type of deal. And then miraculously, the market begins going up again. That's what traditionally happens in an uptrending bull market. At some point, those uptrending bull markets aren't uptrending any longer. The trend begins to change. Therefore, our job as analysts is to identify when that trend is or has changed. From a short-term perspective, obviously the trend changed on the daily SPY chart. However, from a longer-term perspective, it's still in an uptrend. There's still nothing technically wrong with the tape. However, back to psychology for a moment... In order for a correction to begin to be over, let's say, a lot of traders, investors, the general public, the media, they have to believe that things are going to get a lot worse in order for a correction or a corrective phase to come to an end. It sounds counterintuitive, but it is what it is. Think about back to the March lows. The market was going down every single day. It was crashing. What was I saying in the videos leading into the bottom? I was saying, we're going to find the bottom. The Fed is going to throw everything they can, including the kitchen sink at the market, until it turns around. You can go back to the videos, almost word for word, that was what was said multiple days in a row. Despite the email indicator, despite everybody thinking the market was collapsing another 50%, all that stuff is always on the table but when things get to and we'll use the term maximum but it's hard to say when the maximum occurs but when they get to maximum bearishness who's left to sell the littlest spark when the market is stretched in either direction 
but more specifically, when it's stretched in the southern direction, we're selling off. The market is quote-unquote, there's no measurement for this either, but the term we'll use, the market's way oversold. It's the rubber band stretched and breaking scenario. When it starts to snap back, it really snaps back. All right, we got out of our lane for a moment, but let's get back in the lane and apply what we're discussing to this chart, this market, this period of time. Here's the net-net on what I was trying to say. And this is more from an opinion standpoint, but the market really isn't down enough. People don't believe in the correction enough for it to really be over. I'm not really referring to many of you out there, and I'm not referring to the people that think, and this is on the other side, that the market has begun, and that may be the case, but I don't necessarily think so yet, but the market has begun another crash. The people that I'm really referring to is the buy-the-dip crowd. When the market basically is bought up just about every morning, there's a 15-minute chart the last couple of days, gap higher, sideways, gap higher, sideways. They're continuing to buy the market up. Look at the end of the day. Yesterday, they gummed down all the way, almost to 337.50, ripped the market higher. Last couple of minutes of the day, they sold off a little bit, but still, the concept is they bought the market up even at the end of the day. Today, same thing. They bought the market up at the end of the day. What has to happen for the market to find, at least in my opinion, a better bottom than we found the other day, referring to the one here at the 50-period moving average. More people have to believe that the top is in and the selling has just begun. We've got an election coming up. Volatility is expanding. We're starting to see wider swings in both directions. Not every day, not all day, but that is what we're beginning to see. And from a symmetrical standpoint, the market's got to come down to that three and a quarter, give or take, area, which should represent a better buying opportunity. One more thing I want to mention, and this is found in the course Lazy E-Mini Trader, but over the last several trading sessions, we have to notice, based on the pattern that's developing on the chart, time is more important than price. We mentioned it yesterday, we're in the wheelhouse. What does that mean, we're in the wheelhouse? Well, here's what it means to me as it's applied to the charts and to the market. Pitcher throws one right down the middle. The hitter's standing in the box waiting for the pitch right down the middle. Right down the middle is called the wheelhouse. It's the setup. The setup is there whether or not the hitter cracks one out of the park or whether or not this exact pattern plays out to perfection. Those two things are not an absolute. But all we can go with as traders, as analysts, is... What's the setup? Is the setup telling us anything? And where is it wrong? So here's the net-net. After all that stuff, here's the net-net. The setup is lower. Where is it wrong? At least today, at present, it's wrong with a open above, hourly close above the breakdown candle high that we discussed before. We're going to throw a little short hop. This is an email that came in right before the closing bell today. Not trying to single anybody out, but I appreciate the email and I think it's valuable to share with you all so that you can see what's possible. This trader's name is Patrick and we'll keep the email address and the last name under wraps just to protect him. He has no idea that I'm talking about this now. I didn't ask for permission. I'll just beg for forgiveness later. 
This is going to apply to Inside the Numbers, which we'll take a look at after. But I want to read this so that you have a point of reference before we go Inside the Numbers. He's learning a lot from the E-mini Trader course. We're talking about Lennar. It was one of the trades on the board this morning. He rode Lennar up. He played it with options, so he talks about a five lot. He rode it up from 74 to 77.50. Painted by the numbers, sold part of the position. Then, based on stuff that's taught in the course, he knew it was running into resistance. What did he do? He flipped it around. You can't always do this. These type of trades aren't always available, but this one was. He bought some puts. Then he got a ride back down. And he says right here, Lennar was one of his best trades ever. He's trading or painting by the numbers, and he realizes that this is possible. He's making it happen. Great job. How about inside the numbers? So here's what we're going to do today. I'm going to run up the commentary. You're going to pause the video if you're interested to see what the specific commentary was, what the numbers were, and then we're going to go and take a look at stocks on the move. We're not going to spend a lot of time. You can pause the video and look for yourself. We're not going to spend a ton of time in the commentary. I'm going to highlight a couple of things. 341 was important. Breaking 341 on the downside was important. That opens the door for 340. You'll see that later on. That happened. First, they were eating time off the clock in a bullish formation to do what? Go get the gap that was never filled last week. 342.61. Sound familiar? The high from last week is 342.53. Sound familiar? Yeah, that was the breakdown candle high. All these numbers are important. You have to learn how to look at the numbers the correct way. Moving right along. Here you can see 942, LEN, Lenar. We'll talk about this one at length, but it was in fact a rocket ride. Moving right along. So the market basically was quiet all day long before the end of the day when it did have a little bit of a sell-off, but it was still kind of quiet nonetheless. It was almost like a controlled decline. And by the way, we knew where they were going. We called out the gap in the notes. They went to the top end of the gap. The gap had an expansive spot. It was based on what chart you were looking at, almost a dollar spread between one chart and another in terms of where the gap being filled actually was. Moving right along. Early on, we had to contend with the big fat round number of 3,400, also translated to 341 in the SPY. All morning long, looks like they're going to fill the gap, looks like they're going to fill the gap. Here's a picture that looks like they're going to fill the gap. They gap up, they're starting to eat time off the clock, similar to yesterday, then they had to move up from yesterday. Today, they may have the same thing tomorrow. We don't know. They may or may not, but we know the story. We know the important numbers. Moving along. Here's 241, should be 341, fat finger, typo, brain fart, whatever it was. We know it's 341. Below 341 puts 340 on the table. What happened after that? They went down to 340. Let's go out into the end of the day where you see the notes, the commentary. Go back to the charts. Look at what happened. See if you think you can benefit from this type of commentary during the trading day. Some days are much different than others. Some days are quiet. There's not a lot to say. Today was somewhat one of those days. But there's a lot of stuff going on. We have something for everybody. 
let's take a look at the list of stocks on the move. Lennar, RCL, Charles Schwab, Nikola did not hit. It was the only one that did not hit its number. And then Carnival Cruise Line was the last one on the list. Let's start with Lennar. On the board, bright and early, 75.46 was the number. They make pretty quick work of that number right around the opening bell. And what happens? They go on an immediate rocket ride. What was the high just minutes later? 79.36. How you doing? What did they do? They ran up to fill the gap left open from when? Yesterday's close. This happens a lot. We talk about stocks running to destinations. Markets running to destinations. They're all running to a destination. Couple of things happen. They either turn around and go back in the other direction. And we never know how much or how fast. That's why we have a paint by the numbers system. We take a partial position at our first target, a partial position at the second target, and then we take a partial exit, and then we let the rest go. You never know how far they're going to get. What happens if, in fact, the stock, like today, never hits the second number? The second number on the board this morning on Lennar was $73.88. They didn't get there. They turned around before that. So what happens? I have half a position. So what? But check it out. Patrick, the one from the email, he bought it down here, right in this zone. He bought it at the number, whatever it was. Then he wrote it up, and then he sold the calls. Then he bought puts right up here and wrote it back down. How you doing? I didn't trade anything near that good today. You don't know they're going to go all the way back down, and you don't know they're going to go all the way up, but if you have profit in your pocket and you're riding a partial position in what I like to call a risk-free, emotionless trade, you can take advantage of the rocket rides. Same thing on the way down. Once it was in the money, once the stock was headed in his direction, guess what? He was in the what? The driver's seat, the catbird seat. He was large and in charge. Great job. And by the way, you can see what happened even into the end of the day. As many times as the stock tested that general area, 75 and a half, give or take, it bounced off of it. Do you think that number was important? Yeah, I would say so. RCL, not so much today. RCL was an interesting one. We're going to talk about this a little bit further because I think there's a lesson learned here. Sometimes we have to make the distinction between art form and science. Officially, RCL was a stop out, but let's check out what happened. The number was 68.71. So the stock comes into the number and it begins to trade lower. We have stops. The stop on RCL was 68.15, pretty close to the number. So if we have to lose, we want to lose small and fast. Why was the stop close to the number? Because there was only one number on the board. It was a one and done. It was either going to work or not. The stop is based on an hourly close. Let's check out what happened around the close of the hour. So the stock is down, 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 and I'm getting emails and traders are punching out. They're selling it the whole nine yards. They don't want to wait for the hourly close, all that stuff. Sometimes the stock or the trade or the destination, whatever you want to call it, is wrong. Today, the destination ultimately was wrong, but you can see how the number really was an important number. The trade didn't work. That's going to happen. That's the business of trading. It's what we signed up to do. We're in the risk business. 
In order to win, you have to be willing to take on risk, and you're not going to win all the time. That's just the way it works. However, let's get back to RCL. So here it goes. 10.15, the stock's all the way down at a low of 66.94. All of a sudden, it starts to creep back toward the stop. Remember, the stop is 68.15. The stop, from a time perspective, is 10.30 a.m. That's the first hourly close. As you can see, it's a five-minute chart. So here it is leading right up into the 10.30 period of time. This candle is from 10.25 to 10.30, and it has a high of what? $68.15. Here's the reason I'm bringing that out. The stops are also important numbers. They're not arbitrary. They're there for a reason. Sometimes the stock will go test the stop, bounce back in the other direction, and therefore... We could say they ran a test of another number or a stop, turned around, and then they get going back in the northern direction. That happens. We see that happen a lot. Sometimes you'll see them running back to the stop right towards the end of the hour. Sometimes they'll go through it, meaning they'll get back over the stop. They'll have run the test. They close the hour, and they continue up, and that's the end of it, and you never get stopped out. In this particular case, they ran up to the stop, to the penny, and fell away. Now... Here's the deal. I'm going to tell you what I did with this trade, and I'm going to explain why. I'm going to explain the method to the madness. I'm not saying it was right. I'm not saying it was wrong. What I'm saying is, if you're going to deviate from the rules, from the painting by the numbers stuff, A, you have to have good reason, and B, you have to be willing to assume the risk of changing the stuff. Here was the thought process. We're coming into the hourly close. Now, I was getting ready to close the trade at 10.30. I've seen this enough to where I want to wait. I want to give it the extra time to see if they can rally back above the stop. Well, they almost did. But here's what happened. They rallied back to the stop and they started falling away again. So I gave it some extra time because at the time, around 10.30, think about this candle. They're trying to push higher. So I think they're going higher. Now they turn around and they're coming down again. So the official hourly close was below the stop. The official thing is it was a busted trade. It was a shit burger, all that stuff. Not a big shit burger. It just was what it was. But here was my thought process. A few minutes earlier, like 10 or 15 minutes earlier, I'm all the way down here at 67, 67, 20. So my loss on paper was a lot larger in proportion than it was when the stock rallied back up to the stop. So I said, hey, looks like they may be trying to overcome the stop. Maybe they need some more time. If I give it more time, I'm giving it to the low of day. I was already down there. I was already willing to assume that loss. So I'm going to reassume that position and say, hey, if they get below the low a day or they start closing candles down at the low, I'll close the trade and I'll be no worse off than I was 15 minutes earlier. However, I'm going to give it the old college try and I'm going to see if they can rally. Net net is, I did give it a try. I didn't sell out down here. I made a little bit of money on RCL. Not a whole lot, but a little bit. Kept it away from the L column by using a little bit of the art form mixed in with the science. Just food for thought, not saying it was right, wrong, or indifferent, just giving you the information, take away from it what you want. Now, for those traders that'll say, I can't believe you broke your own rules. Yes, you can. First of all, the rules are there 
for everybody's benefit. The rule is a rule is a rule. However, I can't have a list of rules with a bunch of yeah buts. I have to have the rules, the rule is the rule, you paint by the numbers and you move on. Now each individual trader can do what they want. If you break the rule and you lose the trade, you broke the rule. If you break the rule and you win the trade, you won the trade. Alright, enough with RCL, I'm tired of looking at RCL. How about Chuck Schwab? How's he doing? 33.85, number on the board. What was low of day? 33.79, a little bit of a rocket ride. What was the high? 35.12, buck and a quarter on a $34 trade. Pretty good stuff. The number was right. How about Carnival Cruise Line? This is one of those, you gotta be quick. Third minute of the day, what was the low? 1671. What was the number on the board first thing in the morning? 1671. Now they did the deal in a hurry. Fourth minute in the day, the high is 17. Doesn't sound like a lot. 29 cents, that's what you want me to take? 29 cents? Think about it. It's a 16 or $17 stock. 29 cents is the deal. It's almost, not quite, but almost 2% in minutes. You have to take the money. At least you have to take half the money. Then look what happened into the end of the day. The second number on the board was 1596. At the end of the day, it was a destination. Where were they going? 1596 into the end of the day. Where'd they close? 1598. Any accidents or coincidences? I doubt it. All right, this video's getting way long in the tooth. Let's check out the IWM. Camp IWM. Into the 20 period moving average? Rejected. Is that really a rejection or a touch of the 20 period moving average and then they traded a little bit lower? That's really what it is. They finished up a third of a percent on the day, but it's not leading the market higher, meaning not leading the S&P 500 higher. So for that purpose, into the 20 and a pullback, not leading the markets higher, those things qualify for puzzle pieces, small ones, they're on the table. What'd they do? They ran down to fill the gap left open from yesterday after touching the 20 period moving average. There's not much exciting or unique about that. What do they have going on? They have the same thing as the SPY going on. They have a move down and they got a wedge, bearish, flaggish kind of thing going on. Jump over the 20 period moving average, start convincing people that the 20 period moving average is a thing of the past, close hourly above it and then daily above it then they can begin to eliminate the possibilities that you have a bearish, wedgish thing in the making. But until and unless that happens, the market is contained right now by said 20-period moving average. What about our friends down at the RSP, the Broad-Based Equal Weight Index? Well, check this out. It was basically flat. Wasn't the S&P up? Yeah, it was up over one-half of 1%. The SPY was up two bucks. In proportion, this thing should have been up about a buck. Guess what? It wasn't. Now, maybe not a buck, probably about 30 or so cents. But either way, it wasn't either way. It's above the 20-period moving average, which is interesting, but I'm watching this thing pretty close. I'm watching this thing like a hawk. What about the folks down at the transportation department? Well, guess what? They made a new high today. They didn't close at the high, but they made a new high. Why didn't they close at the new high? Well, my take... Primarily because they had a run a test of the breakdown candle high and usually, more often than not, the first time up to a breakdown candle high, they're not going to get through on the first run. By the way, here's a short hop. I want to point something out that I meant to discuss before, but I didn't. I forgot. 
Actually, it's a couple of things. First of all, let's talk about the two shenanigan candles. One from yesterday right here, filling the gap from Friday, and then one today, filling the gap from yesterday. So here's the deal. Here's the way we have to look at that stuff. And I know a lot of you send me emails about the shenanigans print, the all, all that stuff. It's going down to a gap. So if, in fact, the market is trading down there, and they were down there this afternoon hovering around the gap in this one, but we still have the one left open from yesterday or the one that was created on Monday. This is to Friday's gap. So there's nothing we can do with this information other than the fact that if the market happens to be heading to a gap, it's an awareness that they kind of told us ahead of time by flashing these shenanigan prints on the chart. That was number one. Number two, and more importantly, this is what I really wanted to talk about. Look at the volume. Look at this nicely created, down-sloping, ski-slope kind of looking thing. You have decreasing volume as the market's in a corrective phase. That's interesting. What is that actually telling us? That's actually flashing some bullish signals. If the market was accelerating on the downside, you'd have high volume and you'd have much larger swings in both directions. But the fact that you've had decreasing volume ever since the first down day. So on September 3rd, the big down day, big volume. Each day after that, even when the market is going lower, you have decreasing volume. It's an awareness. It's of note. It's a puzzle piece. And guess what? You guessed it. It's on the table. Back to the folks down at the transportation department. Anything wrong with the transports? Is there anything bearish on this chart? No. So what do we do with that? We move it along. It's a puzzle piece. It's on the bull side of the ledger. We take it at face value. What about the folks out in Silicon Valley? Well, you have a similar situation to what we just discussed. We're not going to rehash the whole thing. You have a breakdown candle. You have a high. The high is 282.20. Guess what? You're either going to get above, gap above, or trade through during the day. Either way, you're going to either get above that breakdown candle high, and you're going to get above the 20, and there's going to be a bull run, or they're going to fail, and the breakdown candle high is going to be too much for the Qs. The financials. The XLF was a little weak today. Back and forth, again, giving up the 20-period moving average. Now, the 20-period moving average isn't all that important for the same reasons we said before. Once they're back and forth day after day through the 20, touching the 20, hanging around the 20, or any moving average, it diminishes the importance of said moving average. Not to lose sight of the weekly chart, and we haven't looked at the weekly chart of the other stuff today, but for the purposes of the XLF, I just want to make mention that this is a really, really bearish looking chart. Now, this is a weekly chart. They can go up for six weeks in a row and not change a thing on this chart. You have to put it in perspective. The market can trade sideways to higher through January and not change a thing on this chart. About Smash Mouth, up 2.37% today. Guess what? Leading the tech sector. The Qs were up 1.6 and change. This is up 2.37 and guess what? This is a pretty good proxy for the tech space as a whole. Anything wrong with the semis above or the SMH above the 20 period moving average? Short answer, no. Long answer, not really. Have I told you how much I appreciate each and every one of you? Without you, these videos are not possible. That is true and accurate information. I'm going to pull the ripcord here today. It's everything I wanted to and intended to discuss. Plus, we know it's getting long in the tooth. 
I'm David Frost, my strategic forecast. Thanks again for tuning in to another episode of Common Sense Market Analysis. My Strategic Forecast is hosted by David Frost. Subscribe, rate, and review on your favorite podcast app. And please visit MyStrategicForecast.com for more information. My Strategic Forecast is common sense market analysis.